on the property experience, our hosts Zarko Jokic and Anna Porter will take you behind the curtain of the property market Australia-wide. Welcome to the property experience and as per previous episodes of the property experience, property experience is all about surrounding yourself with smart people to get the right information about the property buying process. Today, I am joined by two very smart people. With me today is John Hosey from Shire Home Loans. Hello, John. G'day. And with me today is Anna Porter from Suburbanite. Hello, Anna. Hello. Now, we're, today we are talking about the lifeblood of Australia and the lifeblood of Australia are business owners. 34% of Australians own and run their own business. So our economy runs on the blood, sweat and tears of business owners. But often when it comes to the property experience, those same business owners are treated a little differently. So Anna and John are going to share their experience in helping business owners with this property experience. John, tell us a little bit more about your experience in helping business owners. Yes, yeah, so certainly when it comes to business owners and self-employed applicants, it's definitely a different situation to someone that might be working under an employee situation with a couple of payslips. So typically lenders take a more in-depth look of how the business is operating and they'll look in a past tense usually of how that business has travelled over the last couple of years, more so than just your most recent payslip. So it's a, it's a different situation when it comes to applying for finance uh, as a self-employed applicant. Um, and that, yeah, there's plenty of things that are involved and that you can do. It can also be quite a positive as well because uh, usually people know the direction they're going and we see a lot of successful business owners. And we're going to do a deep dive into that process today. So in your experience at Shire Home Loans, do you get a lot of business owners as clients? Yeah, I'd say the majority of our business is self-employed applicants who run their own business, particularly in our area. And, and I've known you for, to, to full disclosure, I've known you for a long time, John. And I'm curious, tell us a bit about your background, because I know you've got a quite a dynamic background before you even came into the broking side of things. What uniquely positions you to help business owners? Yeah, so my background is actually, I started as a financial planner, uh, then moved across to the broking industry around seven or eight years ago. Uh, but I've been positioned in an accountant's office as well. Uh, and I guess have sat next to an accountant that's run through self-employed accounts and businesses, uh, their cash flows. Um, and that's given me a really good insight to how business operates and what makes them function. Uh, our business, I guess, is not just based on a transaction at Shire Home Loans. We, we try to put the business owner in the best position now and empower them, not right, not, not right just now, but also well into the, the future. So we, we do annual reviews and, and try to progress that client along their life journey. Um, and that's both on the business side of lending as well as on the residential side. Yeah, strategy becomes such an important part of those conversations because it's not just the here and now, as you say, John. It's about the long term. It's about the big picture. And one of the things you mentioned before about the lenders do a deep dive more so on business owners than they do on a POYG uh, applicant can be confusing for a business owner because they're coming at it like, well, so you're telling me someone I employ 
has less scrutiny than I have that pay that person I employ. And it, sometimes that can be confusing for people. And often we've I've found that business owners can sometimes not understand the difference between a business loan and a loan for a business owner. So let's let's do a deep dive on, on both of those. Talk us through how business owners, when they're trying to get into the property market, how can they better prepare for that transaction as a business owner, as opposed to a business loan? Yeah, so there's quite a clear difference there. And it comes down to the purpose of what a business loan is or a loan for a business owner. Yeah. So typically a loan for a business loan is to finance something within the business. So that typically might be a cash flow facility or to finance a particular asset or machinery to help that business grow um, or potentially a property to house the business such as a factory or commercial office. When it comes to a business owner borrowing um, for themselves, ultimately that generally reflects they're going to buy their own home or potentially investment property. Um, so when you, you go to the bank, you're going to – get assessed on your history generally over two years, possibly three years. Um, and if it is to go and buy a residential property, it's very much in the past tense. When we go and get a business loan, they can look at – lenders will typically look a little bit differently. So they will look at potentially, as an example, the asset that you're buying. I worked with a cabinet maker that uh, was outsourcing a particular cut and finish on his kitchen cabinetry. Uh, he found a machine that could – really make his business more efficient. So the, the bank was able to assess the additional savings and additional income that was going to produce for his business um, and allow financing for that machine. Hold so on, so you found a bank that thought outside the square and looked at what it would do to his business in the future? I didn't know they existed. They do, but it's <laughs> definitely more so on particularly on the uh, business loan side of things. They, they tend to look at the history and into the future with cash flow forecasts. So the challenge is when it comes to you buying your own home as a business owner or an investment property is they look very much so in the past tense. Um, and that's usually based off the last two years financials. Um, there's a lot of different policies out there. Some of them will use one year in isolation, but right now it's probably become even more challenging for business owners because banks are asking for the latest information yeah. due to COVID. So we might've been got away with 2019 accounts uh, in prior years, but right now as a business owner, you really need to have your financials up to date. And this is something I hear quite often from our clients, who a lot of them are also business owners, and as a business owner myself, there can often be this tug of war between what the broker and the lender needs to see in the financials and what the accountant wants to create in the financials. So for all the accounting wizardry to try and reduce net profit, you know, make the numbers um, you know, as legally as they obviously can, but legally minimise the tax position, does that sometimes go against you from a lending position? Does the, do the banks sort of see through that or can that actually be part of the challenge where you've got to balance out the need between an accountant and, and what the lender needs to see? Yeah, that's exactly right, Anna. So it's a real juggling act because the accountant's obviously trying to work in the best interest of their client and save them as much tax as possible. But usually that's reflected by having a reduced income. So when you turn up to the bank with a reduced income, it's going to limit you yeah. on that factor. Yeah. So. In our business, we work really closely hand-in-hand hand with accountants and we always say to a business owner, best thing you can do is get us involved in early to talk to your accountant. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is a lot of the times the way that the accountant's reducing taxable income is by uh, what we call addbacks. So there might be instant asset write-off depreciation, 
um, interest expenses. So it's good to have a hands-on approach with the accountant and understand what the addbacks are and what they've done to get to their position. Then we can take that to the bank and explain it to the bank that these aren't necessarily ongoing expenses. It may be that it's a vehicle purchase that's been instantly written off for the year. But the following year, that can be added back. So being working close with the accountant uh, and understanding the client's business in detail and how they've got to where they are can greatly assist. We do that every year. An occupational hazard for me is buying investment properties. It's one of those things that I tend to do fairly regularly because we see so many good opportunities. But every year before we do anything with our tax, my accountant asks me, are you planning on buying any more property this year? Because that will have a flow-through effect on how we manage the accounts. Then I put them in an email with with a broker to sit down and have those conversations jointly about, you know, one year we got caught out where uh, we were putting a fair bit of extra money into super when you could put a lot of extra contributions in to as a tax minimisation strategy. And we specifically looked at a lender we're going to to refinance a lot of things over to that accepted that as part of our income as an ad back. But between doing that exercise of putting it in super and going back to that lender in two to three months, they changed their policies and then suddenly it changed our position with that particular lender. So, you know, it's one of those things where you can still try, you, you do the best thing you can and still try and be as up to date on, on, you know, the right strategy, having everyone involved. Policies still change a bit though, don't they? Yeah. I mean, that was just an unfortunate situation. Yeah, yeah. but exactly right. Policies but, change daily. Yeah, but that's why someone like yourself is really important to be able to keep across those sort of policies. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's preparing and and working in advance. If you say to your accountant that your goal, your priority is to buy investment properties down the track, well, he can look at your business looking forward mm. uh, and make it more profitable um, and have those discussions about how your profits distributed as well. It becomes a real team effort where everyone needs to be on the same page in terms of strategy for these transactions to meet demand. So in your experience, John, have you seen an increased demand from business owners for lending both business loans and lending to business owners? Uh, yeah, I definitely would say that there's definitely an increase, but that's also relevant to how the business has traveled and how they've adapted. So I think over the last 12 months, we've seen a real variety of businesses and how they've coped with COVID. Yes. Um, and a l- some businesses have been incredibly surprised about how they've been able to pivot, redesign their business, and they're doing better than ever. Yeah. Uh, I think they've had the time to sit back and really plan their business. Unfortunately, some other businesses that have been in industries that um, have had it tough and they haven't been able to divert or pivot um, will have a real problem moving forward, I think, with financing in the short term. So what advice do you give to business owners who come to you? You have that uh, interaction with them. How do you get them better to prepare for the property experience? How do you get them to better prepare for the transaction ahead? Yeah, so... Obviously, it's all about planning uh, and, and setting your goals, but we have a chat to people about what's required from the bank. So that the major things are things like paying your tax on time and not having a tax liability. Mm. Uh, it's often a strategy that has to happen with the accountant, but again, if we're in touch with the accountant, yeah. we can have a just conversation about that. Uh, paying your existing liabilities on time. Uh, if you've got existing debts and making sure they are paid on time is a huge thing. As business owners... You can get very busy and yeah. and miss things, but you really want to make sure that you pay your tax on time, get your existing repayments done on time, and talk to your accountant about the future. Talk about your plans and, and managing your cash flow as a business. Don't let the red letters pile up with final notice and <laughs> yeah, definitely some not. goons are coming. <laughs> so, Annie, in terms of helping business owners get into the property experience, what advice do you give to them when you first sit down with them and um, share with them how you can help? 
One of the things that we think is really important for business owners is to have some property as a backup plan. So, you know, and the lending is obviously something that the broker specialises in, like yourself, John. It's not our area of expertise, but we've seen this so much through this COVID period. The business owners that have one or two investment properties, if they've had a cash flow crunch, once they've gone through their savings, they've been able to tap into either the equity in that property to, to draw out some money to get them through a cash flow period or sell investment properties, pull out their their cash and be able to fund their business or their personal needs in that tough time. And it's sometimes been able to carry them through those situations. Whereas I've known a few business owners over the past 18 months who haven't had any uh, assets to lean upon except their own home. If you're in a bit of a cash flow crunch, selling your own home is a very, very big and hard decision to take. It's very impactful on your life. So then you're choosing between your family home and keeping your business afloat. Whereas flicking an investment property or two, not such a big decision, not very impactful, actually is part of the reason why we have these investment properties to create this platform of financial security for a rainy day for when we need it. So I've actually found that for us, when we talk with business owners, it is a conversation about if you go through a rough patch, what is your assets that are going to support you through that? And if it's only the family home, that's a big risk. So that's where we step in and help them look at affordable investment properties that aren't going to impact their cash flow too much while they're running their business because there is ups and downs in all businesses. And then it also can be part of their tax minimization strategy if their business is in a really strong profitable position. And we're working with their accountants on that as well. John, you help people every day with the conversations you have and the options you provide. What, what do you see the outlook your clients have for 2021 in terms of property and and uh, lending, are they feeling confident? Are they feeling uh, pessimistic? What are, you, what are you seeing in your conversations? Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of high energy. People are keen to oh, make decisions really? and take action for this year. Um, my gut feel is that things are going to really heat up uh, from the amount of pre-approvals and business we're being asked to put together. Uh, there, there is a lot of people that want to make decisions so and make things happen. And are these the same people that maybe didn't make a decision six, eight months ago or were sitting on the fence or wait and see mentality? Correct, yeah. Definitely uh, were holding back, like I think a lot of people were. But as the harder times seem to be over now and people have gone through those and potentially have more successful businesses than they have, they've got the confidence. Now, of course, that's not everyone, but it doesn't take everyone to... But you're seeing a trend of positivity with the conversations you're having? Yeah, 100%. And people wanting to do it. They're valuing the home a lot more than they ever have, I believe. Uh, I think that's a lot to do with people working out of yeah. home and spending more time in home yeah. and not travelling as much. Yeah. Um, and I think when people are nervous generally about the economy, they turn to things that feel safe, which is bricks and mortar. You can touch it. You know, the share market's a little bit uncertain at the moment. Any other investments tend to be a little bit less tangible. But property is always that, you know, Australians are very property centric. It's that thing that they trust, they can touch it, they can feel it, they can see it. And we, we do hear a bit of that coming out of the market at the moment. Yeah, the great Australian dream is still alive and well. Are you still seeing that confidence in the conversations you're having, Anna? Look, it's a real mixed bag. We've got probably uh, maybe a third of the people we're speaking to still have a, a level of caution and, and nervousness. And they're the ones we are speaking to, the ones that are probably really scared aren't picking up the phone. Yeah. Um, but then we're getting the people that have had a year where they haven't been on the overseas holidays or the ski trips or, you know, done anything with any ma major financial spend and they've still had job security and now looking at how they could reinvest that money. And some businesses have been in 
a significantly better position. You know, they've been in a their business hasn't suffered during COVID, and then they've gone and gotten a huge amount of government subsidies and stimulus that they were entitled to, which you know, however the system worked. Some people might have an opinion on that, but there's still people that now we're hearing in their business have more cash than they've ever had. They're looking at ways to set themselves up better for the future with things like investment properties. And to be honest, it's probably more the business owners that are a little bit more happy to generally, I would say as a generalization, take on a bit of risk anyway, are the ones that are doing well. They're the ones that are getting that confidence we're hearing. Whereas maybe the more mum and dad, you know, salary employed that are seeing the their their business they work for is a little bit quieter than it once was or they had their hours cut back, they're still a little nervous. So with these people who are confident, John, they're chomping at the bit, they want to get out there. Are there any challenges that you have to bring to the table to almost give them a little bit of a small little dose of reality, not necessarily a punch in the in the guts and a sit down, but a a little bit of a dose of reality? Yeah, Are there I think any challenges? Between. Yeah? yeah, actually, yeah. So the biggest challenge... Uh, as a small business owner or self-employed applicant right now is how banks are assessing those subsidies. Okay. Uh, so cash flow boost and job keeper is the most common two subsidies that we're seeing and all banks have different policies on it. Yes. Um, so a lot of people are excluding that from financials. So a lot of people might f- have that confidence that they've got a much larger bottom line, mm. but it's made up of those subsidies. Mm. And when we pull it out in the bank's policy, the business isn't, as successful as that's a reality check yeah (laughs) so it is a big reality check Uh, at the same time there is different banks policy so a lot of banks are actually including the job keeper as they're saying well that's a replacement of income you should have earned anyway Mm. um so uh, depending on the policy and the niche and how the actual client's business is going and their confidence and how it looks for the future yes uh, it's all about aligning that but yeah you're 100 right there's a There's a confidence adjustment. Yeah. I've actually got a question. Sorry, I'm stealing your job for a moment, Zarko. I want to know a bit more about low-doc loans and where they sit in the market at the moment. Because as a business owner, I've engaged with those a lot. Yes. Not always because I haven't had borrowing capacity, but I have this um, bad habit, as my husband would call it, of finding a really good investment property, not having any of my financials up to date and just buying it and then having to find a solution-based loan very quickly. And then we refinance everything once we've done all our accounts. We move it from a low-doc product, which attracts a higher interest rate because it's a quick solution, over to more mainstream lending when we when, we, when I get on, on top of my life and my, my financials or I give my accountant time. But for people out there, there's been a lot of changes in this sector with low-doc and how that's approached. Where does that sit at the moment for business owners? Yeah, definitely. So low-doc, uh, I'd put it to business owners, it's not as low-doc as it used to be. So they are asking for a lot more documentation in a low doc. Um, we've seen some major lenders, ANZ as an example, pull out of that space uh, during COVID. Mm. They see additional risk with it. Um, and we've seen Rams franchise change their model on it uh, well over a year ago now. So those type of loans still definitely exist uh, and they're in a range of variety. They cost more. Um, however, they typically require a larger uh, deposit or mm. equity placement within them so it reduces the risk for the bank and just to really break it down i I work with a lot of um you know tradies you know that that are getting their first loan and they're probably not sitting in the world where they hear things like low doc and you know lvrs and things like that that we're a bit familiar with for them sitting there saying well what's a low doc loan what information would i need to provide because i had this conversation with a client just the other day he said i could get a loan off of what like how would that work and he went back and had a chat to his broker about it what does someone potentially as a, as a 
generalization need to provide for a low doc loan? Like how yeah. much information might they need to give? Yeah, great question. So typically I think if we talk about what is normally provided for a full documentation loan, that's usually your last two years tax returns and profit and loss if you're running a company. Um, usually the most recent bank statement to have a real deep dive into your business. When we talk about low doc, uh, typically banks will use your most recent BAS statements. So that might be one or two BAS statements. Um, in the current markets, that generally has to be backed up by something else. So there'd be two forms of income. Usually it's BAS, second might be a bank statement, or it might be an accountant's letter backing mm. that, what you're declaring on that income. So it's sort of like a difference between a top line and a bottom line look. So the low doc will look at the top line revenue. So you could be doing great revenue. You just might be spending as much as you're making almost, and you could still potentially be eligible to borrow. Whereas if you're going for a full doc, you have to show that you're actually profitable and running the business at a, at a good profit as well. Yeah, potentially there is different policies. So that would be correct for some lenders, but uh, by getting the, ba the BAS, what a lot of lenders are doing is looking at the total turnover uh, and taking out the actual expenses on that BAS mm. and leaving what the gap is and then annualising that. If it's six months BAS, they'll annualise it over the last 12 months. Now, depending on your type of business, that can vary greatly. If we talk about a builder as an example, yes, um, one quarter he may have all his project costs that have got to come in the BAS and then the next quarter he may get paid for the next stage of his mm. build, mm. which has very little expenses. Yes. Um, so it, it's not a perfect formula, but there's... there's there's avenues in there that are due to banks policy that will allow a large degree of, of various lending. Um, mm. In saying all that, we as a business and industry want to make sure that it's still affordable loan mm. for that person and get more of an indicator. But low doc loans generally came around because people just didn't have their financials ready. Yeah, like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, for my husband, it works really well. He's a mechanic and owns a mechanics business. And, you know, he would spend as much as um, he earns on his own race cars or friends' race cars or race events or, you know, I love you, honey, but, you know, he like, you, you know, the, the type, if they're in the car industry or whatever industry they are, uh, I've got friends that run, you know, um, things in horses, they'll go spend a lot of money on buying new mm. horses or new cars or whatever it might be. So it's very easy to spend almost as much as you earn but if you were to pair that back there's still an affordability there it's just that that tends to become almost a lifestyle business in some respects as well so yep. that's where I think that can work really well for those types of businesses too and it gets to the stage it's a variable on a variable and without expert advice like someone like John sitting down and looking at what the current state of play is and what the future may look like it's very hard to give general options I think in the answer to your question Anna because mm -hmm. often um, the biggest uh, mistake a lot of people can make is take one little piece of information and then apply it to themselves when it may not actually apply to their own situation. You often get that, John, where people say, but my friend told me that. Yeah, 100%. And you get that a lot from business owners? Uh, not so much business owners, I would say. I wouldn't put them into that. Bucket. Okay. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people use that bit of advice at the barbecue Yeah. Um, as a given. Yes. Um, so we do a lot of education in what yeah. we do to guide people. Because at the end of the day, it's a bit your own life situation. You want your life to be in the best position possible. It is. It is. It is. So what other challenges are you seeing in the marketplace, Anna, in terms of 2021, in terms of the property experience that people need to be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some challenges ahead. Uh, I think one of the big ones is people are up against a lot of competition because there's not a lot of stock on the market. 
So very few people have listed their homes for sale over COVID because they just wanted to take pause and see what was happening. So it's left a real gap where there's a lot of buyer competition and it's not because there's a significant increase in buyers out there. There's just a real lack of available stock. So it's created a real imbalance in the market. And unless we see some um, shift there, it's pushing prices up and people in some instances are paying prices that just aren't justified. And, you know, as a, we buy investor properties for people, but uh, my career background was as a property valuer. Yeah, it's not in my DNA to see people pay too much for a property. It makes me, <laughs> makes mm. me, I'll lose sleep over this. It makes me quite anxious. Yeah. So we certainly, um, you know, we like to see a market that's relatively balanced and paying overs just because people are panicking is never the sort of thing you want to see in any sort of market. It's not sustainable. John, in your experience, what advice are you giving people in terms of uh, preparing for 2021 from a property experience point of view? Yeah, so I guess it's getting in there early and planning. Uh, so making sure your financials are up to date. Um, I'm also suggesting that people get out there and get a feel of what's happening with the market. Uh, we have a lot of people that want to spend a certain amount, but that's based on what property prices were a year and a half ago. So you need to get an education of what you're trying to target and what you're trying to aim for. Um, but as well as being ready and being ready is having your financials up to date, having all your uh, repayments and tax liabilities up to date. What advice do you give to people who want to get a feel of the market? What's the best way for them to uh, to get that under their belt? Yeah, I'd suggest get out there and, and go and look at open homes. Yeah. Uh, if it's for your own property to live in, go and see what the areas are doing and, and talk to agents. Uh, obviously, if it's in, it's a, if it's an investment property, well, there's people such as Anna with her business that uh, we strongly suggest because uh, they're experts in their field in areas that you don't necessarily know. It's very easy to work on somewhere like Domain, but you don't have the the experience or knowledge of that local area. So personalised data would play a big part in filling that gap. Would you agree, Anna? Absolutely. And, you know, even when you pull all the data out of all the big data providers, it tells a certain story. Mm. But until you get boots on the ground, that data is months old. It, it, you know, getting that feel for what's happening in real time in every market, how many groups are going through opens, what offers are the agents accepting, why are they looking for, even in every individual circumstance, you might get a property over someone else because you've put the right settlement terms in there. Because, you know, Betty, who's 85 years of age needs to sell, but she hasn't found a place to go to yet. And she's scared to go to a nursing home, but you'll let her rent it back really cheap for four months. Mm. You might buy it for less than what everyone else is offering because you can play to those circumstances. Um, things like that are, are critical to getting a really good transaction and understanding how to play the game in the different markets with the different agents under every different circumstance. And John, there's no shortage of buzzwords and strategies floating out there. I want to throw some to you and get your viewpoint on some of these strategies that we hear about. First one, rent vesting. Yeah, it's a strategy we're seeing a lot of from a first-time buyer or the younger generation. Uh, it's all about living where you want to live, uh, but also having the strategy to, to buy an investment property in the right area that's going to get your gains and returns. Uh, I think we do a lot of weighing it up uh, for first-time buyers to see what the real benefit is. Uh, there's a lot of good incentives for first-time buyers, so you've got to weigh up that yes. uh, versus the fact of where do you actually want to live? Is that realistic? Yes. Um, versus getting a fantastic investment property. Seeing um, a bit of that, rent seeing, Yeah, quite a bit, particularly in the younger population. Mm. They don't want to give up what they've attained in terms of lifestyle sometimes. Yeah, correct. They don't want to be moving way away from their okay. area for what, what's affordable. All right. Second one, buy and flip. Yes, yeah, so it's typically a strategy we don't see a lot of. 
Um, and I'd say it's definitely best suited to people with experience. Uh, buying your first time investment property can be stressful enough and managing that mm. ongoing. So for someone to jump straight into the buy and flip, I think it's a lot of extra steps. It doesn't mean it's not for every first timer, yeah. uh, but it comes with experience. And what experience do they need to be able to buy and flip? Yeah, I'd suggest that they should have a feel about what's involved in all the aspects of yes. uh, financing, owning a property, uh, ongoing management. Again, that's about the team around you. Okay. Um, and then some experience to what goes into a renovation. So if ah, you've, okay. you've gone through a renovation yourself or constructing your own home, you yeah. quickly realise it's not as simple as it looks from yeah. the beginning. So if you but, can't handle a shifting spanner, don't buy and flip. Yeah, unless you know who, where to buy the spender from and who <laughs> yeah, to hand it to. Exactly. Uh, third one, buy and hold. Yeah, it's a big strategy we see. It's probably the most popular one, particularly from uh, self-employed business owners that have got equity in their house uh, and they're looking to do something additional to their own business, uh, planning down the seeds for their, their retirement. So a lot of business owners will release that equity to go off and, and buy an investment property, one, two or three. Um, and holding on to that property for a long period of time until it grows. So it's leveraging and expanding that portfolio through that buy and hold strategy sometimes. Yeah, correct. Uh, and a lot of big conversation is I don't want it to hugely touch my cash flow as a business owner. Uh, it definitely will touch your cash flow, but there's ways of managing that so it can have a real minimal impact when it's a buy and hold strategy. Yeah. So it doesn't have a detrimental effect where you, you're having to make uh, unnecessary and unreasonable sacrifices to make the strategy work. Yeah, correct. Because p business owners are so busy with their own business. Yeah. That's really a good strategy to, to get help from a great team. Uh, it's not a set and forget, but it almost is. And it comes down to that theme we've talked about, about the team. It's about having the right people at the table to give the people who want to become part of the property experience the right advice, the right information to make the right decision. Correct. 100% agree, yeah. Excellent. Thanks, John. And it comes down to what we talked about before. The property experience is all about having the right team involved, having the right people at the table to give you the information and advice you need. And look, it's safe to say we've achieved that today with our conversation. So thank you very much, John, for joining us today on The Property Experience. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you very much, Anna, for joining us today. Always welcome. And uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Property Experience. Stay tuned for more great content.